everybody. I told you last week about uh, my newest sponsor, somebody I'm thrilled is aboard because this is a person I've known a long time, and uh, she is simply the best real estate agent in the region. And there are a lot of facts that back that up, but she's humble. She's embarrassed. I'm probably saying that. Ann Dresser Coker. Ann Dresser Coker. And if you are in the need of a real estate agent, whether you're selling your home or you're purchasing a home, give her a call at 303-229-6464. That's 303-229-6464. Or you can reach her uh, online at anndresser.com. A-N-N-E. Dresser, D-R-E-S-S-E-R.com. She's a results-oriented broker, clear understanding of home buyers and sellers at every price point. And when you have a person who loves what they do, it comes out and you get the great results that Anna has been providing in this market for so many people for so many years. She's the top individual at Liv Sotheby's International Realty. She's the uh, top individual producer at the Denver Metro Association of Realtors. So it's not just my opinion. These are facts. You got to give her a call if you're selling your home, if you're listing your home, or if you're on the other end and you're you're buying a a property, give her a call. She is number one. 303-229-6464. Ann Dresser Coker. Hey, I tell you every week, and I've been telling you uh, about steel products for two and a half years and counting now. S-T-I-H-L, steelusa.com. Go check out all of their products that are going to help you spiffy up that yard. Uh, Right now, you get snowfall. They have blowers that uh, will take care of the snow, will take care of the sidewalk area, the entrance area. They have chainsaws galore, and of course, uh, summer is right around the corner. So uh, I'm telling you, you can't do better than steel products. The pros adore them, and folks like you and I adore them. And they're heavy into battery-operated products these days. And the battery-operated products not only last, but they're super powerful, I was down visiting with them last week, and they showed me a heavy-duty chainsaw, I mean with a 20-inch blade, that is battery-operated. It's unbelievable. And yes, they have gas-powered, if that's your direction still, electric, if that's your thing. But they have so many products. you got to check them out at SteelUSA.com. There's a dealer right around the corner from you because there's more than 10,000 around the country. And a quick heads up, if you are heading down to the Home and Garden Show at the convention center, and I would uh, encourage you to do so because it's a, it's great fun. Go check out their display. That's steel, S-T-I-H-L, steelusa.com. Again, go see him at the convention center at the Home and Garden Show. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Drew has some thoughts on Michaela Schifrin and the Winter Olympics, the NFL head coaching hires, the Pro Bowl, a preview of the Super Bowl, and a conversation with Ohio State running backs coach, run game coordinator, and assistant head coach, Tony Alford. And Tony touches on how Earl Bruce encouraged him to go to Columbus. Story says, um, what are you doing? I said, well, coach, I'm, I'm thinking it over. He goes, well, what are you thinking about? And I said, well, you know, we've been off in the job. I'm just thinking it over. And he says, well, let me help you. Tony Alford, stop thinking it. Get your ass to Columbus, you dumbass. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts. And tell a friend, this is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. Glad, as always, to have you along. It's podcast number 130. 
five as we uh, march through the month of February into the month of March. Still no baseball to report as they remain at an impasse. So I won't uh, delve much further into that. I know it uh, sickens everybody out there. Get that thing done and uh, and let's get spring training rolling because it ordinarily would be starting uh, days from now. The Winter Olympics, if you haven't noticed, are taking place in Beijing. I'm a huge Olympic fan. I'm going to talk more about the Olympics in a moment, but I want to start with Michaela Schifrin. Michaela Schifrin is the face of the U.S. team at the Olympic Games. In fact, uh, I, I listen to the PTI podcast quite a bit. Pardon, uh, pardon the interruption with Michael Wilbon and Tony Kornheiser. Immense respect for both of those gentlemen. Tony Kornheiser has been a, a brilliant writer, sports writer for uh, more than 40 years. And he said on the podcast, their podcast, their show, that's made a podcast also, that the only name he knew, and he's covered many Winter Olympics and Summer Olympics, the only name he knew was Michaela Schifrin. And I clearly believe that the weight of the world, she said as much, going into these Olympics were on her shoulders. And in Giant Slalom, where she was one of the favorites, she's the reigning gold medalist from the previous Winter Olympic Games. And then the Slalom, which not only is she the best in the world at Slalom, she's the best female Slalom skier ever, as in of all time. We love throwing around the term goat these days, Tom Brady, the goat. Michaela Schifrin is the GOAT, especially when it comes to slalom. And she is one of the four, five greatest skiers, male or female, or male and female, of all time. Her accomplishments could fill up a hundred pages of a book. And yet we watched her fall after 11 seconds in the giant slalom and five seconds into her great specialty, a 47-time World Cup slalom champ, and she fell five seconds in. And she sat, you know, with her, basically her hands, you know, her head buried in her hands on the snow off to the side of the course for almost a half hour. And I mean, it tore me up. And I'm sure it tore up all of you, you know, cynics aside, which you can always find on social media. Because to me, it's always about the man, or in this case, the woman in the arena. And I'm referencing uh, the great speech made at the Sorbonne at the first part of the 20th century by Teddy Roosevelt. It's one of my favorite, favorite speeches about athletics and about anything in general. It's about the participant. It's about the person who is in the arena, who's putting themselves on the line, who's dealing with enormous pressure. We saw it with Simone Biles in the summer games, who's the best in the world, who is the goat of women's gymnastics. And then we see the exact same thing basically take place for Michaela Schifrin. And sometimes the enormity of pressure for great athletes who have dealt with it throughout their careers becomes too much. And you just wanted to, to go there and, and give her a hug and say, you know what? It's okay. 
you are great. You will always be great. You're heroic by virtue of not only what you've done, but speaking to the masses about pressure and anxiety. I think too often we look at athletes, great athletes, accomplished athletes, and we make them not human. We make them like machines. They can just keep repeating like a push of a button what we want them to do, what we expect them to do. That was painful to watch. And again, I I have such great empathy for her, just like I did this summer and in a different context for Simone Biles, because you know, she she kept backing out of events, but you know, from afar it was clear as to why. Michaela, who is competing in every discipline, that's how talented she is. I mean, I, I know many people, more people out here understand Alpine skiing because we're in Colorado. Um, I love alpine skiing. I've skied my whole life. I've covered World Cup racing. I've covered uh, the pro ski tour back um, in the day for ESPN. Um, I have great admiration and respect for all for all athletes. But um, ski racing is grueling, and at the uh, on the World Cup level, <clears throat> people don't realize. I mean, if you if you finish in the top ten in a race, that's a hell of an accomplishment. Podiums. She has one hundred and sixteen podiums. One, two, or three. She she's unbelievable, but you're it's you against the mountain, you against the course, and people ski out and crash and and all sorts of things all the time. So her accomplishments are almost without parallel. And to do it in all five disciplines, there are there are ski racers. This is what I was alluding to a moment ago. That are really good in the technical events. They excel. Uh, in slalom and giant slalom. There are very few that are good gate skiers and then good in the speed events, Super G and downhill, which is the fastest of all the events. She has won in all of the disciplines, though she's made her name as a slalom skier and and uh, you know she has had a lot of success in GS. She's also won two World Cup downhill races through the years, though she doesn't compete in many of those. Super G as well. And then the combined, which is something that, you know, fits her talents because the combined is a slalom and a downhill. And they added parallel slalom uh, a few years ago, and naturally she has been excellent at that as well. But uh, I wanted to start with Michaela because any athlete and how they deal with pressure And I think most of us who sit and view on television or occasionally in the arena, we don't fully comprehend, can't ever fully comprehend the kind of pressure that they feel, especially in an individual sport. So my hat's off to Michaela Schifrin and win or lose in these next three events as we, you know, sit here tonight again, she still has, you know, the Super G, the downhill and the combined. She's great. She's awesome, and she's awesome for bearing her soul as well uh, to everyone out there and, and shedding more light, as Simone Biles did, on the pressure that many of these athletes experience. More on the Winter Olympics. Now, I, again, I'm a big Winter Olympics guy. I've always been that way in the past. I've been lukewarm this Winter Olympics for a variety of reasons. 
you know, I wanted to get into the political aspect uh, in China, but just from a aesthetic standpoint, where they're ski with the Alpine ski race, it's all man-made snow, and everything around the course and the finish area is barren. There is no snow. I like to think of the Winter Olympics as a winter wonderland. You know, go back to thinking of the days in San Moritz or here in the United States in Lake Tahoe or Lake Placid. And those places look like a winter wonderland where winter sports should be competed. I'm looking at the big air venue and, and what those good folks do, men and women, it's spectacular. The backdrop of that, because they have it in downtown Beijing, are nuclear reactors, for God's sakes. Have you seen that? I mean, it is so unsightly. It is so incongruous. You're saying, what on earth is going on here? So that has kind of taken away from the luster and the anticipation of events that I normally feel. And I also, as I get older, I look at certain things. And I've always been excited when I knew, okay, the, you know, two-man bobsled tonight or four-man bobsled or, or luge, because it's cool. They're, they're hurtling their bodies, you know, down these tracks at 80, 90 plus miles an hour. But when you watch it, you're saying, I can't differentiate from the team that finishes last to the team that finishes first. It all looks the same. You know, so I watch, but I guess I watch now more with a uh, with with somewhat of a, a, a jaundiced eye. Some of the newer events, the last uh, couple of Olympiads, like skier cross, where there's four people, you know, doing battle, racing down uh, the mountain, and their jumps involved and stuff. That that's pretty cool new addition. I enjoy that. Figure skating, beautifully talented men and women. Uh, at some point in time, I get over it. I still, I've watched it for years and I don't know a, a triple tolu from a, you know, triple Saukau or whatever, but I guess that's my fault. Moving on from the Olympics, we turn our attention this time of year to football. And guess what? We've seen the absolute high, or we will see the absolute high as we, uh, as we tape, uh, we're a few days away from the Super Bowl. And we've also seen the low of the NFL. Not just the low in the scarcity, as I addressed last week, of head coaches of color. And now they've closed the book on the hiring season in the NFL. And there are two new additions, uh, head coaches of color. Mike McDaniel, who, and this is a good story for, for us Coloradans, because Mike McDaniel went to Smoky Hill High School on to Yale University. So he's a, a Denver area kid that is now a head coach of the Miami uh, Dolphins, and, and congratulations to him. And Lovey Smith, who who gets the job with the Houston Texans. It'll be the third time that uh, Lovey has been a head coach, had great success with the uh, Chicago Bears uh, back several years ago, less success you know, as a, as a college coach. But it's good to see him getting another opportunity, a guy that uh, hopefully brings a calming influence to all of the uh, – unrest with the Houston Texans uh, the last couple of years. But uh, what I was alluding to, actually, the, the real low uh, on the field of things was the Pro Bowl. So I have to ask, and, and if you're one of those people listening in, and you are one of the 6.69 million that watched the Pro Bowl, my simple question is, what the hell is wrong with you? Are you crazy? Did your clicker break? 
Were you drunk on the couch? What is the why on earth would you watch a game of NFL stars not even playing two-hand touch? A lot of times the whistle came before there was two-hand touch. No one had a grass stain. No one. I have seen more physical games, far more physical games of adult flag football. I don't, they shouldn't play the Pro Bowl anymore. I mean, I'm being serious here. There's no reason. There's no entertaining value to the Pro Bowl. We can celebrate the best players like we do in other sports. This guy's an all-star. We can celebrate those. And and if you want to have the cockamamie skills competition, okay. It's kind of become a little bit hokey. But, I, you know, that that is at least watchable. The actual game is not watchable. There's no point behind it. There's no purpose. Get rid of it. The NBA, because, they, you know, all-star game, you know, it, it works barely. NHL works barely. Skills competition in the NHL can be moderately entertaining. Uh, the one that works best is the all-star game in baseball. I've said this before. It's like my annual rant on this. Because it's still a pitcher trying to get a, a you know a great pitcher trying to get a great hitter out, and we know that the pitcher is not going to pitch very long. We know that you know the 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 top the starters are going to get a couple of at bats, and then you know the next you know some of the bench all stars will come in. But it's still at least it's a real baseball confrontation. But the Pro Bowl man, come on, get rid of it. On to the Super Bowl. I'm not going to break this damn thing down. You get enough of that in the newspaper, on websites, uh, on every. Uh, you know, sports show, NFL Network, ESPN, whatever you watch, you're getting breakdown ad nauseum as we do each and every year going into the Super Bowl. Uh, it's an intriguing matchup. You have, you know, Matthew Stafford, who's making a new home in L.A. You have everybody's favorite uh, son now, Joe Burrow, and uh, the guy who captured everybody's hearts when he was at LSU, captured a national championship, and Cincinnati kind of represents Cinderella. You know, my only breakdown would be, like so many others, the Rams have this unbelievable pass rush led by maybe the best player in the game in Aaron Donald, Von Miller, the erstwhile Bronco. And you're talking about a, a Bengals team that two weeks ago, two rounds ago, gave up nine sacks against Tennessee. They're going to go to the quick game. They're going to have to go to the three-step game quite a bit uh, because their offensive line is not going to be a match for that Ram defensive line. I think it turns out still to be a really good game. I really believe that. There's something special about Burrow, and you'll hear about Burrow in my conversation these next couple of weeks with uh, Tony Alford. Uh, but I have the Rams winning it. You know, I think the Rams have more collective talent, not just Cooper Cup now, OBJ. Speaking of... Uh, Guys that have uh, been around the block now, former Giants star, didn't do as well with the Cleveland Browns, but he's a found a you know he's found a home with with the Rams. So I think the Rams ultimately win the game, but I think it'll be a good game. We'll come back next week and find out how smart I was. All right, on to uh, my old friend Tony Alford. You've heard me stump for Tony when the CSU job was open. I didn't have a podcast three turns ago, but when Steve Adazio got the job a couple of years ago, I said on the podcast, I'd like to see Tony Alford get that job. Tony Alford's paid his dues. He's been one of the premier assistant coaches in college football, one of the premier 
recruiters in college football for a number of years. He's been at some great places. Uh, the last seven plus years at Ohio State. He prior to that was at Notre Dame. He is a winner. Our relationship goes back to when he was a star running back in Fort Collins at Colorado State. He went to high school his senior year at Darty High School. He comes from a great family. He is a classy guy. He is uh, a guy that truly, not just the cliche of it, cares about his kids. We've remained friends for uh, now. It's crazy. I kidded him about getting old, but for a long period of time. And, uh, you know, used to do his games when he was at Iowa State, when I was working in that conference uh, frequently. I'm proud of him. And I think you're going to really, I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation next couple of weeks. Um, I uh, get a great thrill uh, in bringing you this podcast, honestly, every week because I enjoy the long form interview. I enjoy talking to athletes, coaches. It's something that, you know, in this broadcasting business that I, I, I still think, you know, that long form interview where you can really get in deep with somebody um, can be very interesting. And Tony's an interesting subject, and I will tell you uh, that this interview was one of my favorites over the last, uh, you know, two and a half going on three years. And so uh, that's why I say I know you will enjoy it. It's for our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week, Ohio State. I got to get all his titles. Ohio State running back coach, run game coordinator, and assistant head coach, former Colorado State 1,000-yard rusher, Tony Alford. Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit, Tony, as we get going, um, because I always tell people, yeah, you know, I've, I've been in this a long time. But guess what? You've been in it a long time, so long that I'm not that much older than you. And I was calling your games when you played in Fort Collins. Does that make you feel old no, now? You're old. No, 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 no. You're, you're much older than me. Let's not let's go. <laughs> you and, you and uh, Mr. Graham did our games. That's right, the late the late Tom Graham, and um, I even think at one point his son Philip was one of your teammates up there, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, he certainly yeah. was. Yeah, Philip was one of my teammates. Yeah, Tom Tom died way too young. What a good man, and he had a he had a heck of a career at Oregon, heck of a career uh, in the NFL. So I'm going to take you back. A lot of people don't realize they know your name now from coaching forever, and um, and, and obviously you had a great career at Colorado State. We'll get to in a moment, but. A lot of people don't realize, because you've been a Buckeye now the last seven years, you actually are an Ohio kid, not a Colorado kid. You you went to Colorado late in your high school uh, career. That's correct. We moved out there to Colorado Springs, went to Doherty High School. I graduated in the summer of 86. And But I was born and raised in Ohio. I was born in Akron, and then um, we moved to Kent, where Kent State's at. And my dad, um, my late father, was the first black captain All-American at Kent State, and um, so that's kind of where we grew up, and and so I kind of I grew up a Buckeye, if you will, and then we moved to Colorado, as I said, just prior to the start of my senior year in July of '86, and you know I played ball out there at Colorado State. My mom still lives in Colorado Springs, as does my older brother, and and so I I say I'm from Colorado because that's where my 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 mom is at. But um, just like anything else, I guess someone say where you're from, and I'll say well, it all depends. I mean, what's convenient? What answer do you want? <laughs> You know, it depends what answer is going to be the best one. But, but uh, most of my formative years, I was I was in here in the state of Ohio. I've never asked you this. Uh, I knew your dad was a heck of a player, and I knew he had gone to to Kent State. Was he on campus 
during the the riots and the tragedy. Uh, yeah, May May fifth, nineteen seventy. Yeah. No, so no, my dad he got done playing there in the late fifties. Um, okay. Like fifty eight, but we lived there. We lived in Canada at the time. We lived literally like three blocks from campus. Um, again, I was I was very very young, but but uh, but yeah, we lived we lived there and. Um, they got so many. I don't know if you've ever been to Kent State, but they got monuments all over that campus and where the actual shootings were, were took place. And um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of where we grew up. I got you. I got you. So then you go to Darty, and that's when I first met you. you. I met you at the All-State Games, and there were three really good running backs that all had committed to Colorado State. You, Tony Carr, and Brian Copeland. And Copeland was, was from Colorado Springs, if I recollect, as well. Yeah, Whitefield. Yeah, he went to Whitefield, and Tony was a Thomas Jefferson, not a Denver. That's right. And um, the way it turned out, Tony Carr played for a little bit and ended up just becoming a student. And and you and Brian Copeland uh, ended up having great careers. What what are your fondest memories about being at CSU and kind of starting that turnaround? You know, everyone wants to talk about the games and and all that, and and um, Copeland. You know, had a heck of a career, obviously, and he's out in Hawaii now. He's like a bodybuilder and runs this whole whole shop or bodybuilding uh, deal that he does. But you know, I would just—I'd like to say, really, my fondest memory is just the relationships that I that I formed with my teammates. Um, you know, the playing days are going to come to an end, right? And but some of those bonds that you made and, and friendships that you formed, and and it's kind of a community in itself. And, and the camaraderie that you build in that locker room, and for people that haven't played the game, they can say, "Oh, we understand." You really can't if you've never really, if you've never played the game, you've never sat in those locker rooms day in and day out in the winter conditioning and and mat drills and spring ball and training camp. If you've never been through that, you you really don't know what you don't know. And 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 I would just say that the camaraderie and the in the family bonding and, and atmosphere that, that you form with those guys in the locker room is my fondest memories. And, um, you know, I, it, some of the best times of my life were, were playing ball with those guys. Who influenced you the most when you were in Fort Collins from a coaching standpoint? Oh, without question, Earl Bruce. Um, you know, I was, I, I started under Leon Fuller and that staff, um, and I was all in, I was hell bent on transferring out. And then Coach Bruce got hired. And ironic, my dad had been a high school coach in the state of Ohio prior to us moving, as I said. So he knew Coach Bruce and he had numerous of my dad's players and guys that he had coached had gone on, had gone on to have careers at Ohio State. And when Earl was a, uh, assistant under Woody Hayes. So we're kind of, our families kind of knew each other. And, um, so when he came in, um, it was kind of like a, breath of fresh air for me um but as far as just the influence that he had on my life was i mean i i i can't i can't i can't thank that guy enough and his family for you know for and his daughters so i'm still very close to they all live back here in the columbus area amy lives in north carolina i believe but but um so i thank them for sharing their dad with us right and with me in particularly but but just the the influence he had on me is in becoming a man and, and accepting nothing but the best that I had. Um, I, I can't thank him enough. And sadly, you know, I didn't say anything to him until I got the job here eight years ago. And, and I remember he and I went to dinner, and I, there was kind of a story behind me getting hired here, and he kind of helped that happen. 
but we're sitting at a dinner and these people are, they hold them in such high reverence here in, in, in Columbus. So we go to this dinner and people are coming up to this, this is Earl Bush, he's an old guy and they're asking for autographs. And I'm sitting back and just watching him interact with these people. And he hasn't coached Ohio State, you know, it's been what, 35 years or 40 years, whatever the heck it was. And, um, I just and it was over. I said to him, I said, Coach, I, I got to tell you, man, how much I'm, how thankful I am for you. And he said, What do you mean? And I went into this whole dissertation about um, how he's been very much of a father figure to me. And I had, and listen, you know how you know how close I was to my own father. And, and absolutely, two men had they had the most impact on me um, of any men in my life. Um, my father, and, and then obviously Coach Bruce, and and I had never told him thanks. And and uh, and so I just felt compelled to do that and, and tell him why I was thanking him. Um, I don't think that I understood at the time that it was going on exactly what what I had. I don't think I understood at the time that that uh, the impact that he was having on me on a daily basis. It just it wasn't hitting me in, until I got into my adult life. And um, so yeah, I, I hold that guy in such high reverence. It, it's uh, amazing. Uh, you know, I have his fedora hat on, on, a, on a place in my office at my at my house, and uh, that he gave me after he had a stroke, and so I, I, that's one of my most prized possessions. That's interesting, and I, and I'll tell you the other thing about Coach Bruce and anybody that's read any history of college football in general, specifically at Ohio State, and maybe even if uh, they, they followed, if they're out here in the mountain mountain states, and they followed. Uh, what he did in turning around Colorado State, you know he loved to run the football and play physical football. And I remember a day in Salt Lake City because we were up in the booth calling the game, and he handed it to you enough that uh, and you ran wild enough that you gained 310 yards. Uh, favorite day in, in football pads for you? Oh, yeah, no doubt. You know, as, as my mom and dad actually had gone to the game, they were at the game, and um, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a great memory. And it's funny, you know, my players – since we played Utah this year in the uh, Rose Bowl, and something came out on Twitter just prior to the game, maybe the day before the game, and our player, my running back's like, "Wait a minute, you you rushed for 310 yards against Utah," and I'm like, "Well, yeah." I'm like, "Why haven't you talked about that?" And I'm like, "Well, no one cares. The only person that really cares about that anymore is my mom." <laughs> but but uh, but yeah, that was a special day, and um, everything was kind of clicking our way, not just for me, but for our entire football team, and. Um, I think the score was fifty to ten. And you know, they had it was a Scott um who was the who was their quarterback they had it was like a big time first round quarterback that Utah had at the time. Um they had some good players and uh, but it worked out, you know, so that was a good day for us. I I just remember I'm like, My goodness, you're running like up and down the damn field. So I remember also mom remembers and I remember because I remember the exact figure. I was like three hundred and ten. You know, you see every once in a while a guy'll get two hundred. And that's a huge number. I need not tell you. You you played at the position and you've coached some great ones. That's a huge number. Three ten is ungodly. Yeah. It's uh I was lucky. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think they just felt sorry for it. Said, "Hell, let's just lay down, and let the guy let, let his little ass run." So it all worked out. Well, that was back. That was back in the I ISO days. And if I remember right, help me out, Tony. Was Todd Yurt the fullback? It was Todd Yurt was our fullback. Yeah, and then uh, Paul Macronado was our backup. And I think memory serves me. I want to say Todd had a hell of a game that game too. You know, if memory serves me, yeah, um, close yeah. to a hundred yards or maybe a little over that, and. Um, you know, we didn't throw the ball. I said the game is so different now. Yeah, you know, we're, we're you know teams are reeling off eighty five plays a game now. I think we're probably I think we're probably averaging fifty plays a game. And, yeah. and um, 
throwing the ball 15 times. So it was kind of turn around and hand it or toss it and, and uh, let the running backs run. But but that was different in that in that conference, you know, because that was a wide open conference. The the, the whack at the time, Western Athletic Conference, where everybody was throwing the ball all over the park. And then Earl kind of came in and said, "Well, we're going to do this a little different. We're going to play. We're going to we're going to play good defense. We're going to slow the games down um, by running the football and uh, bringing that style and that brand of football to Colorado State, which we hadn't done." And um, so yeah, it, it, it was great. It was a great time to be a running back there uh, when when Coach Bruce came. Did you get to know Sonny at all? You know, I did. Um, you know, my brother played for him. He started with Earl, but then he, then he ended up playing for Sonny. And um, I did. I got to know him not exceptionally well. Um, much respect to him because that guy came in and really set the standard. Earl started it, setting the standard, I should say. But then Sonny right. came in and took it to a whole, whole different level and a whole different um, mindset of the, of the program and what he does, what he's done. And, and for the Fort Collins community, I, I, I can't be – underscore there um but i but i know sonny to sit down and talk to him but to say that i intimately know him like that i do not but but so much respect for him and as a football coach um so much respect for him as a man um anybody that i've ever been around they they speak nothing but great things about him former players that i'm still close to um so i have nothing but great respect for him and and uh, his family i do know his son pretty well though more with Tony Alford in a moment, but uh, first this from a buddy, Brent Ivinson and his great team at Ideal Home Loans. Give them a call at 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. They're going to save you money. They've saved me money on several occasions, and they're going to help you with the home buying process, the mortgage process. They're going to help you uh, save dollars in the long run because they're going to put you in the best product. They listen to your situation. They listen to your long-range goals, and they will provide you with products that make sense for your situation. They're attentive. uh, They are thorough, and they have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They have so many repeat customers through the years because of the job that they do. They're uh, very prominent here in Colorado, and the same can be said down in Arizona. The phone number, once again, at Ideal Home Loans is 303-867-7000. That's 303-867-7000, Ideal Home Loans. Nothing better than a great cup of coffee, and we are so fortunate in this region because we've had one of the best opportunities for years and years, for generations now, to enjoy Boyer's Coffee. They're the legendary Rocky Mountain Roaster. They've been brewed at altitude, which makes it a smoother cup of coffee since 1965. And they're a proud sponsor and partner of the Colorado Rockies and have been for a number of years. And if you go to BoyersCoffee.com, you see all of their wonderful product. And you also uh, see that you can order from their selection online and have it delivered right to your house. I'm being honest, that's what I do. I enjoy going to the grocery store, and you'll find their product there. But I can have it delivered right to my house, and uh, it's usually there within a couple of days, and I don't have to think about it. Because there's nothing worse than going to make a cup of coffee, and you realize you're out of coffee. And uh, you don't want to be out of coffee, and you don't want to be out of Boyer's Coffee. So go check them out at boyerscoffee.com. They always have uh, great deals going on. BoyersCoffee.com. Now back to more with Ohio State assistant head coach and running back coach and run game coordinator, Tony Alford. 
Now, you have a cup of coffee with the Broncos and you get into coaching. I mean, was that always based on, you know, your dad and based on the influences you were talking about, a coach Bruce in particular? Was that always what the end game was going to be, Tony? Well, you know, I don't know. I, you know, looking back on it, no. And, and people say, well, what, what was plan B? Well, I've never, I don't know. I, my mom would get mad at me if I hear me say this because I used to piss her off and probably still piss her off to this day. Um, well, you know, this doesn't work. What's plan B? And I, well, I don't have a plan B because my plan A's always work. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, I did. I, you know, I, I did. I had a small cup of coffee with, with, with Denver and, um, as we put in and I remember I went back and, and Coach Bruce says, well, now what? And I said, well, hell, I, I don't know. First of all, I don't want to be here. I don't want to go to school. But when I got cut, my dad threw me out. True story. I, I went home and get cut on a Tuesday or whatever it was. I, I go home and my dad says, well, you got 24 hours, so don't unpack. And I'm thinking, yeah, I, yeah, I might I'll get signed up somewhere else and I'll sign on another team. And he says, no, um, you got 24 hours to get out of South because you don't have a degree and you're not staying here. Right. And I remember, and I remember I was like, wow, you know, what am I going to do? And so, Unbeknownst to me, he and Coach Bruce had already had discussions immediately as soon as I got cut and said, all right, well, we're gonna, we gotta get him back to school because school's already started. And, um, he's gotta come back like tomorrow if we're gonna be able to pay for the rest of his schooling. So that was my dad's way of, of pushing me back to school because he knew I wasn't gonna go out and get a real job. Right. And so, <laughs> and so I, I did. I, I had nowhere else to go. I couldn't stay at home because he said I couldn't and, and I wasn't gonna get a real job. So the next most comfortable place for me is what I knew was to go back to school. And so I did that, um, but I was still trying to play in the World League and things of that nature. But then Earl said, well, you should get into this coaching thing. And I remember laughing at him and saying, Coach, why the hell would I get into coaching? I don't want to be around you guys. <laughs> just kind of hang out with us here and, and be around. Um, I did it for that spring and absolutely loved it while I was finishing up my degree. I absolutely loved what I was doing. And I kind of said, this is, you know, I remember I said to my dad, this is what I want to do. And. Um, I remember my mother-in-law said to me, you know, at the time we were being trained, we were just dating, but um, she said, well, what's plan B? What, are you, what else are you going to do if this coaching thing doesn't work out? And all due respect, I turned around and I said, well, it isn't going to work out because I said so. Right. And I said, so I, I said, I don't know. I said, Vicky, I don't know what answer you're looking for. Um, but I said, but that's the one you're getting. And um, and God bless it. It, it has. It's, it's worked for me. I've been very blessed in my career. And um, I don't know. I honestly don't know what else I would do and what else I even want to do. Um, so I've been very fortunate to be around some great guys that have helped move me along. Steve Loney, who was Earl's uh, offense line coach, offense coordinator when I played there at Colorado State, he really took me under his wing. As did Tim Salem, who was my running back coach. You know, um, Steve, Coach Loney's retired, but but but, um, but my running back coach, you know, Tim Salem, he's at Pitt now, and those guys really took me under their wing. And help and help move me along and um, and help my career progress and you know like I said when I came here Urban offered me a job and Earl called and a quick story he says um, what are you doing I said well coach I'm I'm thinking it over and he goes well what are you thinking about and I said well you know Urban offered me a job I'm just thinking it over and he says well let me help you Tony Alford stop thinking it get your ass to Columbus you dumbass and I was like uh, okay and and uh, you know, Trina looked at me and she said, so I guess we're moving. I said, yeah, I guess so. But that's, again, so much I held that guy in such reverence. And um, and so I'm just fortunate to be where I'm at, Drew. I really am. Yeah, and you've done a, and you've done a fabulous job. And, I'm, and I, I go back, when, you, when I first started 
you know, being around you a lot more again after your playing days at, in Fort Collins was I was doing Big Eight football with a guy that's down the road from yeah. you and Dave Lapham and 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 me, you and Lappy, because you were at Iowa State under Dan McCarney, and that's where you that's right. correct correct me if I'm wrong. That's really where you got a national reputation as a as not only a, a hell of a running back coach, but one of the best recruiters in the country. And you and Friday night after you put your guys to bed, we go out and, and grab a bite to eat and have beer and, and and talk shop. And and I I felt like that's really where you came to be and get the reputation that you now enjoy. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's fair. You know, I, I do. I would I would actually I would agree with you. Um, and here's the unfortunate thing: you know, there's so many great coaches and, and high school coaches, college coaches. There's so many great guys that they just don't, for whatever reason, they, 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 they're not in the right place at the right time or they haven't befriended the right people. But there's so many dynamic coaches and recruiters across this country. And, um, you know, like you said, that's kind of where I started to make my niche was at Iowa State with the Davis brothers and Ennis Haywood. And, but I was the same guy when I was at Mount Union years before. Right. I was the same guy at Kent State. They were just, just people weren't paying attention to it. And, you know, I, I think with social media and then obviously when you guys were in the, the Big Eight Network and, and being on TV, that helped that helped propel some things and or you're kind of more in the spotlight, if you will. Um, so, but, yeah, I would, I, you know, all I'm told, I, I would agree with you. That's kind of where I, I think my career kind of just started to take off. And and um, I don't know if it's me, but, I you know, I, I do know it's not me. It's the players. You know, you talk about coaches all the time. This guy's great. That guy's great. But they better have some really, really good players. And, uh, or, or you can become you can become irrelevant really, really fast. Tony, I say that all the time. I mean, we talk about this guy's a great coach, that guy's a great coach, and I want to. I'm going to ask you a question here at the end of this little uh, diatribe of mine. But I, I always say this: Yeah, there's differences in coaches, etc. But guess what? You gotta you gotta have the Jimmys and Joes. I mean, you're 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 one of the best schools year in and year out. Uh, come the autumn that there is in college football, and there there are times where you're going to play schools. You do it every every Saturday where they just can't compete. They don't have the athletes to compete. It doesn't mean that your counterparts wearing headsets are bad football coaches. You just have better personnel. That's right, and that's the world we live in. Yeah, I, I was Craig Bowl was on with me a few weeks ago on the podcast, Tony, and I asked him. I said, "What makes a a great head coach?" And he chuckled because I think I think the world of, of Coach Bowl, and, I, and I'm sure you know him. He's really good. He's yeah, really he's good. Really yeah, and you know he had Josh Allen. He goes, "You know what? Josh Allen made me a really good coach those couple of years he was up here." You know, and he and and but from your standpoint, and you've been around some some guys that have that, you know the. The, the attachment to their name, so-and-so, great coach. You know, Ryan Day, great coach. Obviously, Urban Meyer, the NFL thing aside, and some of the controversies aside, when it came to being a college football coach, it's hard to deny that Urban had a great deal of success. So in your mind, nobody's closer to it than you, what makes a great head football coach? You know, I think the the, the ability to lead men and young men and, and the ability to lead people to a shared vision. Um, you know, the ability to, you know, people say, well, you're a leader because you, because you wear, 
the C on your hat and, you're, and then you can carry on the whistle. That's, no, that doesn't make you a leader. Um, you know, I think a, the, uh, a true leader is a guy that can inspire inspire people to follow. A true leader is someone that can that, that can articulate a clear vision of, of where we're going and articulate a plan um, for people to 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 follow that plan. Um, I think a leader is a guy that 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 can build relationships and earn people's trust. Because if I can get you to trust me, if I can, if a coach can get you to trust them, then he's going to follow. Then you're going to follow him. And then you know you got to set great standards. There, there was a standards. There's a standard of behaviors that we have here at Ohio State um, that started. Well, I won't say it started with with Urban. It's probably way before him even. But but that's when I got indoctrinated to it. And then Ryan's kept it going on. There's just, there's a standard of, of behaviors of the way we go about our business every single day. And and we're not gonna. That's what I'm looking for. We're not gonna, we're not gonna fall to those standards. You know, we're not gonna um, accept anything below those standards. And um, and kids know that. But I think that people know that you care about them. I mean, generally care about their heart as men. Uh, what will they not do for you? You know, I talked about my reverence for Earl Bruce. I talked about my reverence for my my late father. Um, but I trusted it. I trusted them with my life. I mean, with my life, I trusted those two men. And if they said to do something, whether I liked it or not, I was going to do it. Because at the end of the day, in a moment of solitude, when I sat back and I really just would sit back and think about, man, this old guy's an idiot, and, and what the hell are they asked me to do? At the end of the day, I would come back to they're asking me to do something because, because they know that's what's best for me at that moment, or they wouldn't ask me to do it. So, And I'm not going to disappoint them, so I'm going to go do it. And, and I think that those relationships are built through the course of time, of course. But, um, but I think that's what that's people believed in what Irvin was doing. And then all of a sudden, when the guy started having success, now he's got a track record, right? And and people can say, well, here's the blueprint. This guy's done it. This guy's done it. That guy's done it. That guy's done it. On and on and on and on for many many years. So you 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 look up and say, well. This is what he says to do, so go do it, whether you like it or not. He's got the blueprint. It's worked for everybody else, so it's going to work for me too. Yeah. And, and they built upon that. You know, you've always done everything with great humility. You've been rated at many different times by different uh, entities, one of the top recruiters in, in college football. And, uh, you know, you've been to great places. We talked about Iowa State. You were at Notre Dame for for several years and now the the great success at Ohio State so you have been to the pinnacle and I know by the way congratulations in order you just you're now you added uh, I, I can't keep track of your titles you've been an assistant head coach for a while but now you're the run game coordinator I believe as well for the Buckeyes yes sir yes, okay sir. yes sir thank you the the one thing that you don't have and it's perplexed me because we've been friends for a long time and you know I've championed in particular your candidacy uh, when the job has come open on a couple of different occasions at your alma mater to be a head coach because you deserve to be a head coach. You are a leader of men. How frustrating has it been to not have that opportunity? Well, you know, quite frankly, first of all, I, I appreciate your um, your comments. I, I appreciate your undying support you've always had of me. And it goes back to when I played and um, so I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that, and and um, and I hold you in such high regard as well. Um, with that being said, I'm extremely frustrating, and I you know I can't sit up here and lie to you. Um, but I've had to come to the realization as well that it's not personal, and, and I can't take it, or I hope it's not personal. Um, but I look at it this way, you know, every 
every CEO of a company, and I'm not just talking about college football, but every CEO of a company or someone that's charged with running this organization, they've got to make decisions every single day that they believe are in the best interest of that organization at that time. And whether Tony Alford is that guy or not, it is what it is. Um, you know, I, I would be honest with you that years ago, I said, I got to be this head coach. I got to be this. I got to be that. Um, and, and I think those are the things that have always driven me, that I've got to find something that I'm chasing um, to drive me, right? But at the same time as now, you know, my, you remember my brother Aaron who passed away sure. years back. Um, you know, it really helped bring some things to light for me that, that my identity is not going to be wrapped up into being a head coach. And, and it's just not. And, and do I want to be a head coach? Absolutely, 1,000% yes. But it's not going to define me either. And, you know, I think the things that I hope for will define me are my relationship with my, with my sons as, as they move through their lives, my relationships with my former players, current players, and future players. And, you know, did I have an impact on people? Was I, was I able to, to lead a life of relevance as far as impacting young men and, and help them guide them to be the best version of themselves every day? And I know that may sound like a cliche, but, but I truly believe that. And, and if I'm supposed to be a head coach, God willing, then I will be. And um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do the best I can do where I'm at. I'm gonna put my feet in the ground and and um, do the best I can where I'm at. And and again, I, you know, as far as as far as uh, you know, the Colorado State things that that haven't transpired. Again, Joe Parker, um, they've had to do in that administration. They've got to do what they think is necessary to do for that program. And, and 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 I say that with all due respect. Um, and if that involves me, it involves me. If it doesn't, well, then it doesn't. And and we're gonna move on. You know, I mean, you know, there's there's uh, there's other things that are moving and shaking besides Colorado State. Yeah, no, I understand. And 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 I know Jay Norvell is a good friend of yours. Um, Jay was on with me on this podcast. I've known Jay for for a few years, doing some of his games when he was at Nevada, and I think the world of him. I think he's a uh, you know, I think he was a tremendous choice. Now, going back, um, you know, you would have been a tremendous choice this go round, and you would have been a tremendous choice the last go round, uh, which I don't think they got right. I know you're not, nor would I ever put you in the position to to comment on that. These are all these are all your brethren. I mean, whether whether you've coached against them for years or you know of them, you know, just from afar, you know, you're all in that small fraternity. I get that, but. It seems odd to me that no opportunity, and I think people listening who maybe don't know you as well and they're listening say, hell, man, where do I sign up to have him lead my guys? Because um, that, that, that yeah, honestly, there's some guys, there's some guys that, that probably, you know, should be just position coaches or maybe, you know, coordinators and maybe don't have the the charisma or what it takes to really be the leader of the whole program. But that's not, again, that that's not your situation. So, well, you know, with that being said, you know, not to cut you off here, I, I think that um, any, any, anybody that's in the hiring process, it has to be a fit. First of all, you got to know what they're looking for, and does it fit? And we all have these, you know, all have these profiles that we're looking for. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that I know for me that that was missing was the lack of coordinators' titles. Okay, and 
does that mean you can't lead a program or lead young men? Absolutely not. There's some. I think there's some great coordinators out there that that don't succeed as head coaches. There's been some head coaches that have been phenomenal that were never coordinators. So I don't know if that's the exact science, but people have to profile the way they need to do it. Um, and, 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 you know, and so, you know, I've had opportunities to go be a coordinator at other places and do some things that I've chosen not to. Um, the grass is just me talking, right? Mm-hmm. The grass is not always greener. you got to understand, I, I, I was at Notre Dame and Ohio State now for, for 14 years. So I'm stealing, right? I, I mean, I've, I've been so fortunate um, to have the two jobs and two of the most prestigious universities and football programs known to men. Um, so was, so I'm not just walking away to say I can go be a coordinator. It's got to be the right fit for me, my family. Um, where do I think this is going to propel me to, and how do you ever really know at the end of the day? But everything's got to be in order. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a guy that just moves to move, um, never have been. And so I may have stifled some of my own opportunities because of that, and, 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 that, and that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. those are decisions you make every single day. And, um, but, again, you know, as far you know, you brought up Adazio. Steve Adazio was a hell of a football coach. He didn't all of a sudden forget how to coach. You know, whatever the dynamics were, I wasn't there. I don't know. Um, it, it didn't work out for, for either party the way that I'm assuming anybody would have liked. And, but that's not an indictment on Steve. You know, I mean, it, 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 I don't think so, but it's just the dynamics weren't weren't, weren't there at that moment. Um, and as far as Jay Norvell goes, man, I'm I'm excited for him and and Kim, his wife. They are amazing people, first and foremost. Um, and he's a hell of a football coach. I've known him. We worked together back in the mid '90s at, at Iowa State together, and um, you know, and I hope that the former players and the fans get behind him because he's special, and he is. And I hope the state of Colorado and the high school coaches. That, that, that hopefully your listener hear this, um, that I personally know, um, I will tell you that I think Jay Norvell is a dynamic, dynamic, dynamic person and football coach. And, and he's, a, he's a guy that um, I'd be honored to have my sons, my nephews, who, and i got two nephews that are playing in Montana, one at Utah State. I would be honored to have those guys, no disrespect to who they're playing for, mind you, but I would be honored to have those guys play for Jay Norvell. Tony's a good man. Tony's a good man. And, and I tell you, for those listening, and the, and the Rams got it right this time as well. I mean, Tony, Tony would, would be superb in my mind. But Jay Norvell is going to be terrific. And we, we had Jay on a few weeks ago. So it's not, it, it wasn't Tony Alford or Bust. Uh, you know, Colorado State hired a, a terrific guy. And you heard that, you know, Tony's close with, with Jay Norvell. Uh, but when you listen to Tony Alford, are you not saying to yourself, why is this guy not a head coach? This guy should be a head coach somewhere. And hopefully in time, you know, Tony's content, too. I mean, he he loves where he's at. Uh, but hopefully in time, he gets that opportunity. He has earned that opportunity. We'll have more with Tony next week. More good stuff. You're going to enjoy it. Um, so till then, a reminder is always to uh, check out all the DNVR good podcasts, DNVR Rockies podcast with my man Patrick Lyons, and I join him each and every week. Uh, so um, he does, cranks it out five days a week. So again, download all those good DNVR uh, podcasts as well. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Stay well. Enjoy the Olympics. Rudon Michaela Schifrin. And we'll talk next week. Take care, everybody.